Welcome to the Life Course Podcast from the ESRC International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. In today's episode, Professor Sonia Livingston from the London School of Economics discusses her new book looking at how parents' hopes and fears about technology shape children's lives. Yes, I've been researching children and new media for a long time now, and my focus has always been on children and whatever is the latest technology. Over the years, I began to notice how much I'd heard parents being discussed in policy circles, uh, especially as something of a problem, as somehow hard to reach. And so I wanted to add the parent voice into these very kind of lively public discussions and research discussions about how children are engaging with new media and get a sense of parents' hopes and fears and their kind of imagination for their child and their child's future and what it is that they do. And and this was really to understand the parent in their own right, not as it were just another way of getting an account of the child, but to to see the, the, the family in a wider context. So how did you go about doing that then? How did you get those voices? Well, I decided to take a more or less kind of ethnographic, qualitative approach because I really wanted to understand how parents can feel and what they did and and sort of see the family interacting together. And because the focus was digital technology, I decided uh, also especially to focus on families who'd somehow kind of voted with their feet for the digital age. So they'd chosen in some way to embrace digital technologies, maybe to go to coding clubs, or they had a kind of more or less sort of high-tech house, or some of the parents were parent bloggers. And then I balanced that with a mix of, you know, more kind of ordinary families, different families, uh, really to try to get a diversity of, of different kinds of parents and parenting. This is so top of mind for parents to think about their children's digital technology that the door opened really easily. You know, they they were kind of very happy to let me and my um, co-researcher and co-author, Alicia Blum-Ross, you know, we could could enter the family and they talk very freely about technology, but through doing that, they were really telling us about their lives. And that was completely fascinating. Okay, so on that note, so you sort of hinted a bit at where your information came from. Tell us, tell us a bit more about that. We began by interviewing, ended up with 71 families uh, in and around London. And we chose London as a kind of global city and sort of very multicultural and very diverse space of family life. And we focused on interviewing the at least one parent, sometimes two parents, often with the children. Uh, And then we went with them to some of those coding clubs and video editing clubs and the different activities they did. And we interviewed the educators there. And then in order to understand uh, whether what we were getting was in any way representative of the rest of Britain, not not just London, we did a national representative survey of 2000 parents so that we could kind of put our qualitative work in that wider uh, survey context. And when you spoke with parents about how they went about managing devices with their children. What sort of things emerged that struck you most? I think we really began uh, by being struck by the diversity, by how many different kinds of ways of engaging with technology families were using and all the different circumstances of those family lives. And, you know, the, the puzzle became one of kind of seeing if we could relate how people engage with technology to all the other things that were going on in their lives that made them so different. 
We were also very struck by the emotion in the interviews. And that's why we subtitled the book Hopes and Fears, because somehow we could see that through how parents uh, engage with their children's technology opportunities, they were investing the hopes and fears that they had for their child. And that really made for some interesting and demanding and emotional interviews. A third thing that we were really struck by is how much parents know about technology one way or another. By contrast with the kind of view in policy circles and sometimes in the mass media that they really are the digital ignorance, that they really know nothing. And so they should just be given very simple messages about how to sort of police their child as they use technology. But actually parents you know, have different things to offer in their understanding of technology or of safety issues or of um, being creative with technology or, or digital expertise that they've gained through their work or their own interests. And their instinct was not to kind of police and limit their child all the time, but to share that with their child. And that seemed to us something very important to explore. Yeah, that brings me on very nicely to my next question, really, because you really wanted to get to the bottom of why phones and other digital devices have become such a tricky area for families. And I wonder whether you did get to the bottom of that. I think we did, yes. We um, began a lot of the interviews by asking parents not not just to think about kind of now what they're doing in the living room with the smartphone, as, as, as a lot of research does, but to look back to their childhood and then forward to their children's adulthood, you know, that's a span of, of quite a few decades, to kind of position the parent in the middle of a, of, of a point and a process of change. And when they look back, very often they would describe a childhood which might be happy or sad or, or struggling with whatever challenges, but the technology was, was hardly there or not there at all. And when they looked forward to their own children's future lives, and it's incredibly hard for any of us to imagine 2030 or 2040, you know, when today's children are grown up. And when, and when people are asked to imagine, they, they think in terms of science fiction. They tell you about a world in which the technology is dominant and the, the computer controls everything. So, you know, looking back and there's not much technology, looking forward and there's so much, you can see that technology symbolises change. And it symbolises those hopes and fears parents have for their children. And it um, also symbolises the things they think they might be losing, the uh, sense of tradition or of values that they kind of want to, um, want to retain. Those debates around technology, we argue in the book, really are arguments within the family and struggles within the family to balance um, tradition and values and hopes and fears and anticipations of, of what's to come. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and, and your book looks, uh, as you said, not just at the hopes and fears that parents face, but also why this has become such a contentious area in the media and among policymakers. So what did you find there? We focus on two kinds of areas where there is a lot of debate about parenting, let's say, and expectations of parents. And one is, uh, we could say broadly from the government and the kind of the public sphere of debate around technology and the digitalization of society. And in that discourse, there is uh, both a, a real frustration about the difficulties of regulating the technology and the big tech platforms, and 
because that's so difficult to regulate, the call is to kind of responsibilize individuals and especially to hold parents responsible for how their children engage with the technology. So the harder it is to regulate, the kind of the more um, automatic it seems to become to expect individuals to manage the technology it themselves. Uh, and then we get this kind of negative discourse that parents are somehow failing to do this because after all, it's difficult for parents as well as, as well as for the government. And then there's a much more kind of specific discussion within that, I think, about uh, the responsibility of school and how much the educators, uh, teachers, uh, should be kind of taking on the task of teaching children how to use technology wisely and safely and so forth. Um, and how much uh, the school feels already burdened with society's expectations and wants parents to kind of manage that. And we heard from teachers sometimes that uh, um, they feel that they're, they're meant to kind of manage the whole child, but their task is made so much more difficult by the child that comes from the home, the child that in their view sometimes hasn't been kind of adequately parented or, or sufficiently responsibly prepared for, for school. So parents are these kind of shadowy figures who are somehow held responsible and yet also criticised in the fringes of debates about education, regulation and the role of the state. Yeah, and you argue in the book that, you know, while on the face of it, this is a discussion all about new technology, that this in fact goes much deeper and it's a way of talking and thinking about how we live our lives now and how we're going to live them in the future. Can you say a, a bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. When we were thinking about that period of time from parents' childhood through to now, you know, let's say the last 20, 30 years, of course, the rise of technology has been a big change in, in all of our lives. So have many other things. And what was interesting was how hard some of those other things are to talk about. So the last few decades have also seen a move towards a more uh, insecure work world and a kind of changing labour market. We've seen, I think, rising inequality and especially a lot of kind of concern about the underclass or class of poor families. We've seen increased migration, transformations in the family, you know, lots of lots of really profound structural changes in society, but ones that society found harder to talk about than very kind of evident transformations in technology. And what we could see was that parents find all those issues that they're grappling with hard to discuss and hard to control, hard to kind of know, you know, what can they do about these difficult issues they face. Whereas the technology, even though it's uncertain and kind of puzzling, they do feel responsible for having brought it into the home and they do feel that they ought to be able to control it because it's, it's sort of practical and should somehow be manageable and they're always being told, here's your five top tips to get control over it. So it becomes the point of focus. It becomes the thing that we think we can talk about and we can control and that we all share rather than uh, the other struggles parents face, which tend to divide them. You know, there's just a lot of things that come together to say, this is the technological moment, this is the digital moment. And parents are very caught up in that, but the emotions and the struggles and the structural changes they're living through that's what also um, very profoundly defines their lives. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And this whole idea of, of digital parenting, um, you've actually come up with a rather nice set of approaches which are sort of headed up, embrace, balance and resist. So uh, please, if you could just talk us through what you mean by these and what they might look like in a, in a home setting. 
when we were thinking about all this diversity that we were observing and all the different kinds of families, we started trying to find a way of building some patterns or seeing some, some trends. We decided to focus really on what we call genres of practice that we could see that were in common across families rather than putting families themselves or parents themselves into boxes and saying there's these types of people and the other type of people. We could see practices around embracing the technology practices around resisting it, the opposite, and then a lot of practices designed to kind of balance between embrace and resist. By embrace, we, were, we had some very geeky families and they would kit out the house with uh, all kinds of interesting digital networks or the parent or the child or both would be kind of very engaged in discussing coding as the new Latin, as, as one parent told us, really uh, wanting to kind of prepare themselves for a future perhaps as a games designer. So they would have a whole set of practices around embracing, which we you know, saw variously in different families. And then resisting came more when parents really felt there was something to be lost, values and traditions that they wanted to hold on to, or just a kind of fear of the uncertainty and the risk associated with the, the technologies. But balancing, we could see, was an incredibly uh, effortful um, set of practices as well. And I liken it to my, the moment in my morning yoga when I try to stand on one leg and balance, and I see that it takes a lot of concentration and a lot of effort and a lot of adjustment. And that sense of everyday micro kind of effort and a, to adjust and to balance and rebalance is something that we could see parents doing all the time as they kind of watch and uh, has the child done enough of this or that because should they be doing something else? There's a lot of monitoring and that's incredibly effortful and quite stressful and involves a lot of negotiation. So balancing might be the dominant practice that we saw and the least risky perhaps by comparison with embracing and resisting both of which have really kind of unknown consequences for the future but it doesn't make it easy. Yeah you've hinted uh, nicely at the, the the numerous attempts in policy circles to provide guidance and evidence around this. Where does what you found sit in all of that and how might it uh, change things if indeed it will change things do you think? During the project, I became very aware of the stream of messages that are kind of directed to parents and not often listening to what they themselves have to say. And a lot of those, those messages exhort parents to do two contradictory things. One is you have to get ahead, you have to keep up. The digital world is coming and you need to get the latest technology and make sure your child can be competitive for those insecure jobs that haven't yet been invented and at the same time as being told to kind of keep up and get ahead with the technology parents are also being told to resist it to police it to kind of limit and monitor and restrict their children's access to the technology because of the worries about screen time and the worries about online risk so these are very contradictory messages and, and the, the first thing that i think we would really draw out of parents experiences and family experiences is to say these messages need to be resolved in some way. They, parents can't uh, do two opposite things at the same time and it's completely confusing. And the way to resolve it, we also suggest, is to think about what it is that parents themselves are trying to do in their families and the way in which they want to generate a kind of 
what what um, Tony Giddens calls the democratic family. They they want a, a family life very often in which um, everyone has a say and can pursue their different interests. And the family life is kind of negotiated rather than dictated on on high by by a kind of Victorian father figure. So recognise the kind of families that parents are trying to build. Um, and then draw on what it is that parents do know, whether it's about parenting or about um, their own childhood experience they'd like to kind of, values they'd like to keep alive for their children, um, or also what it is that they know about technology. And so don't treat parents in this kind of critical and somewhat patronising way, but draw on what it is that they can do uh, and seek to empower parents, as well as, you know, policymakers often talk about empowering children. They don't talk quite so much about empowering parents. Parents are very willing, I think, to have their voices included in consultation and to be part of this larger debate. And um, as I said at the very start, they are really too little heard, but they are a very um, critical actor in kind of navigating family life towards this digital future. So finally then, Sonia, your book, Parenting for a Digital Future, How Hopes and Fears About Technology Shape Children's Lives, is out now. Who's it for and what else can they learn from it? I like to think it's for everybody. It matters to everybody how parents parent and how children are brought up, both in kind of the digital present and as, as society moves towards the, the digital future. I hope that it has messages and findings that that kind of concern a range of organisations or actors, professionals who, who think about child rearing, socialisation and indeed our, our changing society, not just those who, who kind of focus very um, in a very particular way on parenting. So I don't want it to be heard as a narrow investigation. I think what, what, what family life is like now has become very kind of topical for both academic fields and also kind of professional activities. And I think we have some provocative arguments and a kind of diagnosis of our, of our present condition, which I hope people will engage with. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life Course podcast, which is presented and produced by Chris Garrington. Parenting for a Digital Future, How Hopes and Fears About Technology Shape Children's Lives is by Sonia Livingston and Alicia Blum-Ross and is published by Oxford University Press.